And welcome to another edition of On the Road with Legal Talk Network. This is Maria Sager, the chair of the executive committee of the Workers' Compensation Section of the California Lawyers Association. I'm also an applicant lawyer for Boxer and Gerson in Oakland, California, where I have worked happily the last 16 years. I'm the host of today's episode, which is being recorded on location at the 2019 California Lawyers Association annual meeting in beautiful Monterey, California. Joining me now are three members of the executive committee of the workers' compensation section, Jack Goodchild, Judge Sharon Velzi, and Randy Pollack. Welcome to the show, you three. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Really exciting to be able to experience this with all three of you. So let's go ahead and get started. Um, But before we do, let me find out a little bit about all three of you. Where do you work and what do you do? And what is your role in particular in connection with the executive committee of the workers' compensation section? And let's go ahead and start with Jack. Uh, My name is Jack Goodchild. I'm an applicant's attorney in Encino, California. I've been involved in the practice of workers' compensation for 43 years. I'm a certified workers' compensation specialist. I've been on the uh, executive committee for the last five years as a regular member and the last two years as uh, treasurer and this last year as treasurer and vice chair. And I'm becoming chair um, later this month. Congratulations on that. I'm so excited for your new role. So Judge Belzi. I'm a workers' compensation judge in Van Nuys, California, and currently I serve as the chair of the Education Subcommittee for California Lawyers Association, and I'm the incoming secretary. Congratulations to you as well on all the amazing work you have done in connection with the Education Subcommittee and on your new role as secretary. So I'm going to now turn it over to Randy. Yes, uh, I work as a defense attorney for uh, in-house legal department at Pacific Compensation Insurance Company, where I'm the managing attorney. I've um, been involved with the section, the workers' comp section, as the editor of the workers' compensation quarterly, and it's um, a great organization to be a part of. Great. Thank you, Randy, for everything that you're doing in connection with the workers' compensation quarterly, such an important part of the workers' compensation section. We will now turn it over to our two topics. Uh, the first one is continuing legal education, or CLE. And the second one is an in-depth discussion of workers, uh, the workers' compensation section, and in particular, its executive committee. So first, CLE, Judge Velzi, I'm going to turn it over to you and Randy for this part. Great. Thank you very much. Randy, congratulations on a great program yesterday. Your presentation was phenomenal. Thank you. What was the title of your course for our listeners? It was Hot Topic Litigation and Emerging Trends. During yesterday's CLE course, you covered many things. I wanted to ask you as the presenter, what do you think was the most important decision or decisions from the WCAB in the last year? Uh, Without doubt, it was the kite line of decisions from the Workers' Comp Appeals Board. And why do you think the kite line of decisions are the most important decisions? In terms of the overall level of contentiousness of the issues involved, just the immense amount of decisions that were issued by the Workers' Comp Appeals Board, and the impact in terms of the board creating a framework for dealing with this uh, challenging legal issue, it it was most impactful. Now, if you recall, the kite line of decisions dealt with a very 
important issue in terms of the idea of adding impairment versus combining impairment under the combined values chart. And what the original decision had done was address a very specific fact pattern involving bilateral extremities and the synergistic effect that it causes on an injured worker and the need to add the impairments versus combining the impairments. But what we've seen in the last year, year plus, but mainly in the last year, many, many decisions coming out of the Workers' Comp Board that built out a framework to address these that extended and liberalized the standard beyond what that original fact pattern was, moving into ideas of um, not needing to be bilateral uh, body parts, not needing to be synergistic, but rather the standard being simply more accurate. And what has resulted from that is a substantial increase in some cases for the applicant's award. And in some cases, the, op- the defendant's exposure dramatically increasing. That has been the most, uh, to me, the most uh, important line of decisions in the last year. Thank you. What was the most surprising decision or decisions from the Workers' Compensation Appeals Board in the last year? Um, I would say that there are several and for different reasons. Did the Chris Wilson case make your list? Uh, yes, it did. It was, it was surprising for several reasons. One, that it uh, came out of nowhere, in my opinion. That, that issue laid, the, the issue that the Chris Wilson case addressed laid dormant, in my opinion, for many years. The, the, as you recall, the case uh, addressed the psych PD add-on for post-1113 cases addressing the catastrophic injury exception. And this really, in my opinion, was not a hotly litigated thing for several years. And so it just came out of nowhere. And I think it's, uh, it's surprising because I recall back years ago when uh, SB863, which was the reform measure that, that put it into place, uh, I was talking to a QME about, about it. And he said, how long do you think it's going to take before uh, the board comes in or the Court of Appeals, whoever is going to decide this issue, to give us some uh, guidance on catastrophic injuries? And I said, I thought it would be about one year. Six years later, the board came out. So it sort of came out of nowhere. And I know it took a long time for that for a variety of reasons, but we don't need to get into those this morning. Was there another decision you found surprising? Yeah, I would say the, um, I'm going to hope I pronounce it right, PAU, a significant panel decision from the Workers' Comp Board. And it addressed the uh, UR timeframes and whether Saturday counted as a working day uh, for the purposes of UR timeframes. Well, it was surprising to me because from just speaking from an objective standpoint, taking my defense attorney's hat off and, and just being a neutral evaluator, it was pretty surprising in that I felt that the board had all the tools at their disposal to come out with an opposite decision. They found that it was not a working day, but I thought they had all the statutory and the regulatory tools to do it, but they didn't. And then secondly, just again, objectively speaking, I thought the decision was a little weak in terms of its analysis. What do you think was the most challenging area of litigation for both defendants and applicants' attorneys in the last year? Well, I have two applicants attorneys at this table, but I'll say I'll project a little bit that I think the continuous challenge for applicants and applicants attorneys is always the attempt to get medical treatment, especially outside of utilization review. And 2019 was a very challenging year for applicants attorneys with a series of setbacks in, in decisions, one of them being the King decision out of the Supreme Court, California Supreme Court where uh, there was an attempt to argue that they could sue in civil court the UR provider and the UR doctor, or the UR organization, the UR doctor. And uh, the, the Supreme Court uh, used the exclusive remedy to shut that down. Um, the other uh, decision that was a setback was the Wiggs decision, where the applicants' attorneys were t- attempting to utilize an agreement to go outside of UR and apply it for future uh, issues. And the Court of Appeals said that the, they were interpreted it in a much more strict way and, and limited way. And finally, the PAU decision was another opportunity potentially for the applicants to liberalize the timeframes for UR, and it went against them. 
So I, I think that the, all those things combined created a really challenging situation for applicants' attorneys. But beyond that, uh, definitely the PEOs continues to be an annoyance uh, to applicants' attorneys as well. Could you describe for our listeners what a PEO is? Yeah, a, a PEO is a professional employer organization. And in the simplest way to describe this, this is one business contracting with another business to do its HR um, functions. Uh, it's like an exported HR department. And that's, uh, they do things like payroll, benefits, uh, and very often secure workers' compensation coverage for that business. And what we saw in the last year was a tremendous amount of litigation over, um, it was just a lot of finger pointing, uh, employers pointing at each other saying, you're responsible, you're responsible. And if there had been a breakdown in this uh, arrangement, there was a lot of litigation. Well, what happened was the board came out with a series of decisions that gave guidance to the parties that uh, identified what the role of the PEO is, who they are, and what, what their liability was. And um, that was very useful in the last year to at least give guidance there. Now, in terms of defendants, frankly, every, everything sucks. Uh, everything's <laughs> difficult. Everything's challenging. But the area that particularly was really nasty was non-IBR medical legal litigation. And it's, it's nasty because the rules are very technical. And if you get anything wrong, you lose and you lose hard. And you look at sanctions, attorney's fees, costs, all that. And so to be a defendant facing these in the last year was very challenging and quite awful. And I'll say that I did a, I did a webinar on the PO and the, and the non-IBR uh, stuff that I feel that if anybody's curious about it, it does expound on these a lot bigger than my presentation yesterday. And it could be helpful for litigants if they need help. Okay. Thank you, Randy, for allowing me to interview you this morning or for your presentation yesterday, which was really great. Thank you. Uh, to see the entire educational program and our upcoming events, please visit us at C-A-L-A-W-Y-E-R-S dot org. Back to you, Maria. Great, great. Thank you so much, Judge Belzi, and also Randy. I had the pleasure of attending your presentation yesterday. I sat in the front row, and it was um, great. So thank you very much oh, thank you. for all the time that you put into that Appreciate presentation. That. Sure. So now on to the workers' compensation section, where I will start us off by discussing what nine benefits a person obtains by paying only $95 per year as a lawyer and free if you are a student. So with that, here goes. Number one, one gets six hours of self-study MCLE free, including ethics, substance abuse, and elimination of bias programs. Number two, you get specific subject targeted MCLE programs in the spring, fall, summer, and at the California Lawyers Association annual meetings where statutes, regulations, AMA guides, ratings, and also case law is discussed. Number three, the educational programs are taught by leaders in the workers' compensation community. Four, you get an automatic subscription to the workers' compensation quarterly newsletter that we have been discussing this morning. Number five, you get the monthly e-news with breaking news and articles of interest, including announcements for MCLE programs that are coming up. Number six, you get one-hour live webinars during the lunch hour. Seven, you get to network with colleagues in the workers' compensation community. This is probably one of my favorite. There's various receptions and dinners and educational programs where you get to really interact with others within the community. Number eight, the section leadership consists of a balance of applicant, defense, and workers' compensation judges. 
And finally, number nine, you get workers' compensation judge feedback on practice and procedures, which really comes in very handy as a practitioner in handling your various cases. So that is it, ladies and gentlemen, the nine reasons to join the workers' compensation section. So now, Jack, I'm going to turn it over to you. And as you know, the executive committee of the workers' compensation section is made up of nine subcommittees, which I really consider to be the heart of our executive committee. Can you please, for our listeners, list those nine subcommittees and tell us briefly what each one does? Of course. So we have nine committees. They include the Education Committee, which is responsible for providing high-quality education throughout the state and webinars, which prepared the programs which were presented yesterday. We also have a membership committee, which uh, endeavors to uh, promote and encourage a sense of community amongst our practitioners serving the backbone of our system, the injured worker. We have a technology, website, and social media committee, which um, seeks to recognize the activities of the workers' compensation section and the workers' compensation executive committee and to continue bridging the identity gap between former state bar workers' compensation section and the California Lawyers Association workers' compensation section. We have a community outreach section, which um, goes out into the uh, public and educates people on all sides of the fence um, about what the workers' compensation system um, entails and means. This includes employer groups, employee groups, and anyone else that's interested. We also work with information and assistance officers and even employer groups and um, economic groups. We have a um, unpublished cases committee, which makes recommendations as to decisions which have issued by the appellate courts based upon the California Rules of Court Rule 8.1105. And we make recommendations on an unbiased basis as to whether a case should be published based upon the standards for certification and for non-certification set forth in that rule. We also have a legislation committee, which endeavors to complete comprehensive review of proposed workers' compensation labor code sections uh, to recommend uh, legislative changes that eliminate conflicts, obsolete or inaccurate provisions, and to achieve harmony amongst conflicting sections and to minimize gender specificity. We also have an awards and recognition committee, which was very pleased to present awards yesterday to um, a number of um, members of our community who have shown themselves to excel um, and who des deserved our recognition. Uh, we have a publications committee, which is primarily responsible for keeping the workers' compensation quarterly, uh, the source for our community that's looked to um, for insight and enlightenment regarding the latest cases, issues, and controversies, and in regards to which Randy Pollack is our editor uh, and has helped us to take a great publication and to make it even better, and we thank him for that. We also have a membership committee, which seeks to promote and encourage a sense of community amongst the practitioners serving in our uh, system. And um, we also have the practice and ethics committee, which seeks to concentrate on improving the levels of professionalism and competence for all of those practicing before the Workers' Compensation Appeals Board through the provision of education and guidelines to improve our practice. Great. Thank you so much, Jack, for that thorough overview and really, wow, so very impressive. Being on this committee for six years and watching the executive committee members 
work year after year, meeting after meeting, um, to really make this section the best it can be for the around 30, uh, what is it, 3,300 members we serve in the state of California. It's just very impressive. So thank you very much, Jack, for going over those nine subcommittees for our listeners. Well, I'm sad to say it looks like we've reached the end of our road for our episode. I want to thank Jack and Judge Belzy and Randy for joining the show today. If our listeners have questions or wish to follow up with you, I'm going to ask each of you after I go ahead and give my information to tell us how they can reach you. So if you'd like to reach me, you're more than welcome to email me at msager, that's S as in Sam, A-G-E-R, at boxerlaw.com. So Jack, first you, please. People can reach me through my email, which is jgoodchild at goodchildlaw.com. That's the letter J, not J-A-Y. jgoodchild at goodchildlaw.com. Great. Thanks, Jack. And Judge Velzi? Hi. If you want to reach me, just uh, address an email to Judge Velzi at workerscomp at calawyers.org, or you can leave a message at 916-516-1756. And Randy. Um, you can send me smoke signals. No, okay, I'm joking. Uh, no, it, my, you can reach me at rpollock, P-O-L-L-A-K, at pacificcomp.com, and then I'm on LinkedIn as well. Thanks, you guys, and it's been a real pleasure working with you all these years. I don't only consider you colleagues, but I really, truly consider each and every one of you, uh, everyone on the executive committee, and you three in particular, family. So thank you so much for everything. Thank you to our listeners for tuning in this morning. If you like what you heard, please rate and review us in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcasting app. I'm Maria Sager. Until next time, and thank you for listening. If you'd like more information about what you've heard today, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. Subscribe via iTunes and RSS. Find us on Twitter and Facebook, or download our free Legal Talk Network app in Google Play and iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thank you.